Welcome, everyone. Uh, welcome back, I guess, to the Locals Only Lounge. Um, I hope you have stuck with us from the Loyal Locals podcast. Um, but if not, welcome. Um, first of all, I'm joined by uh, our producer extraordinaire, John Cross. Uh, John, welcome. Uh, do you have Thank a you. drink? What are you... Uh, uh, actually, I, I, well, I do have a drink, but I have water tonight. That's... A drink, by very yeah. definition. And we're also joined by KJ, Kevin Joseph. Kevin, welcome. Uh, what are you sipping on? I am sipping on a chocolate macadamia stout from Kilowatt. Oh my, that's Ooh, fancy. That sounds delicious. I have a poorly put together margarita uh, using nicer tequila than I would like because I ran out of my cheap Costco tequila. So I had to finish the mix with a bit of my Reposado that I like to sip on. So um, it's delicious, but wasteful. Um, anyway, uh, so, um, so diving right into the lounge. Um, you know, Kevin, you were talking in the main podcast, uh, you mentioned you were in a bowling league, and that reminded me um, that a theater I like to go to here in San Diego uh, was doing, uh, I think, 25th anniversary, don't quote me on that, um, some number of years anniversary of the Big Lebowski uh, <laughs> showing, um, which was fun. Um, I love that movie. If you've never seen it, I highly recommend Um but it's also a good movie to uh, maybe have a drink in your hand, um, you know, enjoy with friends. It's a bit of a weird one. Uh, but anyway, um, that is all to say uh, bowling has been on the mind. Um, and you mentioned that you're part of a bowling league earlier. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. How'd you get involved? Um, how serious is it? Are you super good at bowling? What's your best <laughs> score? Dive into it. All right. So uh, I do bowl in the league here uh, locally uh, at Mira Mesa Lanes on Thursday night. It's actually a primarily LGBT oriented league. Um, I have been doing those sorts of leagues now for about 25 years. Uh, I started, well, I did it a little as a kid because my dad bowled and, uh, you know, I got into it through him, but then I didn't do it for a while. And when I first moved to Minnesota in the late nineties, um, it's maybe hard for Californians to imagine what a Minnesota winter is like. <laughs> uh, but I was looking through the local gay magazine called Lavender one night, and uh, they had an ad. There used to be, I think, eight different LGBT bowling leagues. And I saw one on Wednesday night, I'm like, hey, that works for me. And so I, I went and started doing it. Now, 25 years later, I've been you know, bowling pretty much every week. Aside from, you know, a year or so that nobody was doing anything. Um, so, yeah, I do that. Um, I What I had mentioned earlier, I think that uh, kicked off this topic, is that I was in Reno this past weekend bowling in the United States Bowling Congress's Open Championships. Uh, so it's open to any uh, – the USBC is the uh, um, sanctioning body. They're the, the uh, keepers of bowling in the United States. And they put on, this was the 109th annual uh, USBC Open Champs. Uh, it goes way back. It's huge. It actually runs over the course of four or five months. Uh, it started in March and will end in July. Um, and, you know, every day there are people bowling their shift for the tournament. 
Uh, there's actually a group that someone locally to San Diego puts together, again, primarily LGBT, but not fully. A lot of people who uh, support the LGBT community do come and bowl on that same weekend. Uh, where he had almost 100 teams, which is five bowlers each, uh, as part of his group over this past weekend. Um, it's a challenging uh, shot, uh, not to get into too much of the details of the whole lane oil thing. Uh, if people are interested, I'll actually post a link to a really awesome Veritasium video on YouTube uh-huh. that goes over some of it. Uh, if you're familiar with Veritasium, very cool science channel. Um, but I, I struggled. I definitely struggled. I did have one 220-something game on uh, Sunday, but there were a bunch of 130s and 140s thrown in there. So, uh Wait, I'm sorry. 220 is struggling for you? <laughs> no, that game felt really good. Under those okay, conditions, yeah. this is the second time I've done the Open Champs and I had not gotten the 200 game. So that felt really good. It's just when I sandwiched that in between was uh, not as good. Yeah, I Andrew Dyer in the comments saying his all-time high is a 164. That's around my all-time high. I was also a, a child, and... I managed to get like a few strikes in a row. So I, it wasn't even overall a game worthy of 160. So 200 anything is like shockingly impressive to me. Um, My league average this year, I think we just, you know, we're at the end of the season. And I think I'm finishing with a 187 average, which is a little down from the last couple of years, but right in that same range. Your average is higher than I have ever bowled. So <laughs> it's one of those things that it's kind of like with Rocket League too. Um, I know that compared to like the general population, I'm reasonably good at it. But I also know a lot of people who bowl like 200 plus averages and such. So I have a bad habit of comparing myself to them and thinking I'm not a good bowler when honestly I'm a pretty decent bowler. Fair enough. So if we ever do a locals bowling tournament, I know who I'm picking on. My yeah, team. yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, honestly, uh, it, it's another thing we can throw out. Like, you know, a soccer the soccer team makes much more sense. But if anybody wanted to put together, you know, a four person team, I, I, I would love to help organize it. If you know, for hmm. next season, come September, um, maybe even bowl in the league that I bowl in. We always looking for more teams. Um, you know. Show up, wear lo- loyal jerseys every week. That'd be fun. I uh, I hate to put her on the spot, but my girlfriend Gabby actually works for uh, Bolero, which is like a bowling company who owns just a shitload of bowling alleys. Um, so, you know, I'm I don't want to speak for her, but I we might be able to set something up. Is all I'm saying. Yeah. Um, if uh, if there's somebody out there who also bowls or is interested in learning it, you do not have to be a good bowler to bowl in the league. There's a handicap system uh, that they use uh, to kind of even things out. Um, hit me up in the Discord. Fair enough. So uh, yeah, KJ be cool. will be the captain of both our Rocket League teams <laughs> and our bowling our bowling league team. Sure. What I, I want to. I mean, I, I knew Andrew wasn't going to be here, but I'm dying since Andrew's in the chat to ask him why he's not with us here tonight. Yeah, Andrew, but... what the heck? <laughs> we we get him in the chat tonight, just not on the screen. I, All right, well, so we... Oh, sorry, go ahead, John. 
I was just going to say, we want to switch over to talk about the uh, Goazo network. Yeah, sure. While we're waiting for Andrew to give us whatever excuse he's got. Um, (laughs) Yeah, sure. So the uh, he's at an airport flying to Maine. Why are you going to Maine? Are you looking for a a box underneath a rock that has no earthly business being in a cornfield in Buxton? Sorry, that's my favorite (laughs) movie. Um, highly specific reference there <laughs> yes the shawshank redemption for those of you who are unaware you should watch it it's a great movie that's a fun place to have a wedding in maine so enjoy andrew dyer i hope that sounds like a good time uh, i presumed it wasn't your wedding because i know you are married already so thank you for clarifying um anyway the cv <laughs> this the galazzo network um so if you're unfamiliar CBS Sports, who or CBS, who owns Paramount Plus, um, that's their streaming platform, has launched a 24/7 streaming service, whatever show you want to call it, uh, that is free, included with Paramount Plus subscription, uh, called the Galazzo Network. That will be um, highlights, recaps, studio shows about world soccer. Um, so it's been on air for, I want to say, about a week now. Um, I personally have been watching a lot, um, but I'm curious to know what uh, what you guys think of it, if you've had a chance to tune in so far. Well, I, as a high school teacher, uh, just finished my spring break, so I loved it when it launched on Tuesday. And I watched a little bit of, especially uh, morning footy, I watched pretty much every morning the rest of the week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I'm a little disappointed now that I'm back at school that it's not so easy to get in there and watch it. And I, I have been really waiting for this. I mentioned it on the last lounge. I wanted to talk about this this week that um, I think it's a bit of a, in a lot of ways, a bit of a game changer. There are some production things and other things maybe I'd, I you know would have critiques about, um, but just in general, I, and I think back to when I was a young kid who loved soccer and was one of the few people in the neighborhoods and would run into my uncertain days. I don't remember when it was Wednesday or something. And KPBS, our local station, would play Soccer Made in Germany. That was my only outlet, one hour a week with Toby Charles to watch Soccer Made in Germany and get my, my soccer fix. Right to today, where we have a 24 7 network about soccer in this country that I can access for basically free. I mean, I, it's amazing how far we've come, but I, I'm really interested to see how this potentially changes the, the markets and the perception in our country about soccer. Because I, I don't want to get into it right now because I want to get some other responses from you guys. Um, but I've I'm also very interested from a production standpoint, and I think it's really cool the what they've what they're attempting to do a network basically over the cloud and not a not in a traditional network format. So I'll save those comments for later, but I'm interested. Kevin, have you watched any I of haven't. Any I of the shows? in fact this today was the first I uh, I had heard of it. I I feel like I heard about it, but I have been not paying any attention uh, to such things recently. Uh, I don't currently have Paramount Plus. I did have it for a little bit, but I've been uh, 
paring back my uh, streaming options lately. In fact, I just uh, canceled my Netflix because I realized I haven't been watching it much. Mm -hmm. uh, that said, I mean, it sounds great. I do remember um, back when I was first getting into soccer in the, the mid-thousands, mid-aughts, however you want to say it, um, right. when what was Fox Sports World became Fox Soccer Channel for a while. Uh, which eventually I think became FS1 and and was less soccer oriented, but uh, yeah, that was the exciting thing to have. You know, they had a lot of different leagues, games, as well as just different shows and such. Um, so yeah, it, it's a very cool thing happening. I just haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Yeah, I um, actually to Andrew's point in the comments, um, I had I I had like kind of been aware of it, but kind of forgot that it was happening until it came up last week um, in the show, John, uh, when you brought it up, which I'm glad you did because it reminded me that that was a thing. And I am already subscribed to Paramount plus um, for, you know, European continental competitions for NWSL for Syria. Uh, um, yeah. Already addicted. Yeah. I I'm kind of there already too. I, um, I work from home four out of five days a week, so I've just been putting it on in the background while I'm doing my morning, um, getting ready and just kind of checking my emails and stuff. Um, and honestly, uh, I have my gripes. I definitely have my gripes. But the thing it reminds me of is back when SportsCenter used to be good when I was exactly. a kid, like when SportsCenter was actually about sports and I could put it on in the morning while I was getting ready for school and like keep up to date on what was going on around the world in sports. And I, there's definitely like, uh, I don't even know how to phrase this, like social media influencer esque aspect to it. And I totally understand that like, that's the world today. They, they have to do that, but I think they've done a good job of mostly sticking to the soccer and I love it. I, I, I wouldn't say I'm addicted already, but it's definitely going to be a thing that's on in my background mornings going forward. Um, I think they're largely pretty insightful. Um, and I appreciate the breadth of the soccer that they cover. Um, they're talking about South American soccer. They're talking about USL. They're talking MLS. They're talking Europe. They've even touched on Oceania and Asia a couple times. And so, like, I, I appreciate that they're trying to take, like, uh, a wide view of the world of soccer. Um, and they're not just talking about CBS properties either. They're not only talking about NWSL right. or the Serie A or the Champions League. They're talking Premier League. They're talking USL. They're talking MLS. These are things that CBS does not have the rights to broadcast, uh, which I'm sure there's some, you know, legal mumbo-jumbo they've worked out. But... Um, I just appreciate the way they've, it feels as though they've come into this attempting to make a show for soccer fans, not just trying to make a show to sell something, you know? Right. Right. Sorry, and that's it's... my soliloquy. I'm done. Okay. And that's kind of goes into some of the stuff I had heard about the, one of the network executives behind putting this together who is probably, I think they gave his age, but now I don't remember, probably a little bit younger than I am. But I, I have had conversations with people where I think there are a lot of 
network executives who are getting to retirement age and they're moving out of the business. And they grew up at a time where there really wasn't soccer. And maybe they were involved during the start of major league soccer. But then that's not what they grew up with, really. They grew up with the other big major sports that we have. And we're starting to see a turnover in some of these executives of people. Like the interview I saw, and I forget this person, what team they support, but they were all about like, yeah, I've worked for March Madness tournament, you know, one of the CBS properties. I've worked on that. I've worked on all these different major sporting events but my passion was always soccer and it's now they've got a whole team of people who grew up and are of the age now where they're starting to become these executives of shows who are soccer fans first and foremost and i think that might be and this channel might be a start of a change where we start to see more soccer available on some properties because i've always had a theory that the NFL is, I'll, I'll use my students for an example. Most of my students, my diehard, passionate students, they like soccer and basketball. Those are the two sports they like, that they're really involved in. They wear jerseys all the time. And for soccer, it's really Champions League, right? That, those are the teams. But the NFL, baseball, the Padres, but not really a lot of baseball talk outside of the Padres. And the NFL... It's just individual players. It's it's whoever's making highlight reels and what they can see on short clips. They don't even know half the time who's in the league or who's even in the playoffs. And I feel like we are forced, if you're on some of the sports networks, you're kind of forced that. And I think they would argue that's what people want to watch. And I think, you know, we don't have a lot of soccer fans who want to watch our net our linear networks. I think because all your soccer fans are in the cloud watching streaming stuff because that's where they've had to go. So it's a little bit of a chicken egg kind of thing. So I'm really interested to see how this Galazzo network goes moving forward. Does it start to attract more people? Just like we've seen with women's soccer, all of a sudden people are like, where did all these fans of women's soccer come from all of a sudden in the last two years? Well, they've been there, right? They just didn't have the avenue to really show in a way that other people recognized. Right? And I'm wondering if the Guazo Network will kind of be that just on a general soccer terms. So it's those, interesting. Those are some of my thoughts. Oh. Yeah, it's interesting. You've now made two references. It made me think of my uh, my good friend, Bruce McGuire, who uh, lives in Minneapolis. Uh, he's off and on done a, a blog called, called uh, I can't speak suddenly, uh, Do Nord Football. Um, he's pretty well known. Uh, in certain circles of American soccer. And uh, one, uh, football made in Germany um, that you were mentioning yeah. earlier, a uh, big influence on him as well. And, you know, he's also mentioned over the years that soccer in the U.S. especially has been the sport of the Internet. As you know, right. the Internet's kind of come up and there's more and more connectivity um, around the world now soccer is more and more accessible to people i know that when i first started really watching it what got me another level deeper was to be able to go over to wikipedia and look up you know these clubs that i was watching and how is this all connected and like you know i i saw the 94 world cup but i didn't really get it at the time but now you know looking up all this history and wikipedia and such um you know 
and now this younger generation has that all up front at right. the beginning. Uh, and, and it's huge. I'll tell you when, when the March Madness tournament was going on, I have very few kids trying to sneak watch on the basketball games. But I swear every Tuesday and Wednesday they're sneaking Champions League. <laughs> Always. Always. Yeah, I you know, I um I think I kind of came up in more of the internet soccer sports age. Um by the time I was in high school, um well, I guess sports streaming I guess I'll say by the time I was in college, sports streaming was ubiquitous, um, but especially for soccer. And, uh, you know, without confessing to anything, I uh, definitely was part of some pretty robust streaming communities that may or may not have been totally above board. Um, but that was how you had to watch the game at the time, you know? Um, so I, anyway, to, to, to both of your point, I think that soccer fan community is definitely very, uh, well-versed and adept at, uh, navigating the internet landscape. Um, and so I think that American soccer fandom is definitely growing. Um, and I think that to your point about the NFL, I think it's interesting because, um, you know, I alluded to like when sports center used to be good. And what I meant by that was when sports center used to actually like cover different sports and not just like the NFL plus whatever LeBron James is up to. And I, there's definitely been like a funneling of American sports media over the last decade towards the NFL and like the big superstars in sports like the NBA. Um, but anyway, I'm totally just kind of rambling here, but I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I think that John, you're right, that it's, it's not just your students who are watching soccer over other sports. It's, it's that soccer for whatever reason has found itself in this space where it's almost like, for a while there was almost like the hipster thing, right? You're like watching it on these illegal streams and like, Oh, you know, these players in Italy or whatever, but um, you know, it's pushed past that. And it's kind of now uh, I think we've got a real generation of, of people who genuinely care about soccer as their primary sport. Um, you know, for me, it's one soccer and baseball are my two big ones. And uh I think for the people younger than me, it's, it's, it's soccer. Yeah. I, Kevin, do you see any of the similar kind of things or. Uh, I mean, definitely. Uh, I, uh, I clearly, I'm not a teacher, so I don't spend nearly as much right. time with uh, <laughs> the youths these days, but uh, no, it's exactly right. Uh you know, and the accessibility of on TV slash streaming of Champions League, of the Premier League, of, you know, Bundesliga, all of those kinds of leagues um, has definitely led to an explosion. Uh, unfortunately, it has had both a positive and a negative effect on domestic soccer because now that there's even more accessibility for the European leagues and, and for big things like that, 
there are some people who don't necessarily want to associate with the lesser U.S.-based leagues, um, right. which is a shame. I mean, we all know that. That's a damn shame. Um, I'm well aware that for the last almost 20 years, I have been watching inferior soccer from a technical standpoint. And I'm perfectly okay with that because I can go, you know, five miles across town and watch local play, uh, watch loyal play in person uh, with a bunch of other crazy people like myself uh, singing and, and doing all of that rather than, and you know, and not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do this because I've done it myself, spending a couple thousand dollars to go over to Europe to watch a game. Yeah. Right. It's a, it's just nicer to have that local connection. Yeah, you know, I never bought the the inferior argument that some people make because Agreed. college basketball and college football are huge here. Mm-hmm. And they are clearly inferior leagues, you know, and and level of play to say the NBA and the NFL. And yes, you're looking at potential future stars in those leagues. But, you know, some of the argument is, well, why would you watch this? It's inferior. It's not the top. But I think part of the reason we like in this country, we like the college sports and especially some of these big rivalry matches. It's not the, the teams and the level of play. It's the amount of passion the fans bring to the stadium and the arena, which is, I think, what a lot of us love about our sport, right? And what we can bring to it. And I, I think there's a lot of distraction arguments that some people make for, for whatever point they're trying to raise or, or get people to think a certain way. Um, but I'm just, I'm more just curious to see what, what happens. Like I said initially with the Scalazzo Network, and I, I just want to relay a story from my youth. Um, Dylan, you were talking about your maybe not above board streams at some point in your life. <laughs> I, I remember being a kid it. in in 1978, the World Cup in Argentina, and I grew up in Palm Springs. That's where I went through most of my schooling up through high school. And we have a lot of uh, people from all over the place that live in Palm Springs. And I remember on our local channel, which was Channel 10 they were broadcasting and it was some kind of pay-per-view. It was like my first experience with some kind of pay-per-view, but they were broadcasting on that channel. And that was our cable channel. Cause you know, way back before your time, we had channels two through 13 and that was it on the television. Um, but there was a way in the UF UHF signals that I could see it was there and, but it was scrambled and I could kind of hear the audio but I was somebody who liked to tinker with tech stuff that I went in. I remember because my grandmother would watch us over the summer because my mom had to work. So we'd always go to my grandmother's house and I tweaked her television and tweaked the signal to get it slightly out of phase. So I could kind of get the games in and it was enough that I could watch them. It was horrible. It's like having a bad stream, right? You know, just trying to watch it, not, not pixelated, but I actually got in there to where I could tweak it to be able to watch some, you know, as a 10 year old, watch some World Cup matches as they were being televised on, on some kind of pay-per-view like thing um, locally. But that was, I mean, that's what I had and it was there and I figured out a way to, to kind of watch it. But, you know, talk about doing your illegal streams <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> yeah. back as a little kid. Yeah. I, I, 
I love that you bring up the college sports to MLS or USL comparison, John. I because I've made that argument countless times to people um, because I also think the whole quality of play argument is just total bogus um, because for exactly what you've outlined, it's like I, I growing up was a big football fan. Like, I mean like American football and I always preferred college football to the NFL. And I was always aware of the fact that it wasn't because it was a higher level of play. It was because the passion and the community were a much bigger part of it. And I think this ties into the Wrexham conversation y'all had last week um, that it, the thing that drew me in to soccer in the first place, and especially San Diego loyal was the community and the passion that the community shared for the club. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I love soccer already. So that was something I was seeking out, but I think that the college sports analogy is a, particularly a particularly poignant one because the things that make college sports so enticing are the same things in my opinion that make the Wrexham story so enticing and that is two big two big pillars one is the community aspect right with college you get this inherent sense of community that isn't necessarily there in NFL or MLB, NHL, NBA teams, franchises. Um, but you also get the stakes. Uh, look at the look at the March Madness tournament. FAU, Florida Atlantic University. Um, right. Actually, my dad's goddaughter went there, so it's a school I'm familiar with prior to this. But that's a school that is not a sports school. There's no reason that Florida Atlantic should be in the spotlight of American sports. And yet they made the final four and therefore we will all spend the next year talking about Florida Atlantic university. And there is a stakes there, like something to be won or lost that is simply not present in American professional sports. Um, Because you look at, I mean, my San Jose Earthquakes, I grew up in the Bay Area. They're actually doing okay right now. But for years, they were the pits of the MLS. They deserve to be relegated, even though that wasn't a thing. And I just, when the stakes aren't there and the community isn't there, and by only having a certain limited number of clubs that exist in this ecosystem, you restrict the community inherently. Um you just kind of can't get the passion that exists that people want. And I know I'm kind of just totally going off the rails here, but I think (laughs) that there's something to be said for, I, I, anyway, I really love the college analogy you brought up because I really think that there's a comparison to be made there between the passion that drives the support for college sports teams and the passion that drives the support for lower league teams in European soccer. Um, but it's the stakes of the winning and losing that makes it uh, really, you know, life or death for a lot of these people. And um, anyway, to bring it all together, I support promotion and relegation. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, the whole college <laughs> sports thing. I hadn't considered the deeper analogies there. 
uh, you know, how it connects because you think about the era in which college sports started and started becoming somewhat popular. It's mostly pre-television. Same thing with the beginnings of European soccer. Um, you know, it's very much these teams represent their community, whether that be part of a larger city like London or just these smaller towns that are out, you know, like Wrexham, for example. Um, it's very much of its era uh, where it is tied into those communities. You know, these schools that have been around for 100 plus years are tied into their communities, no matter if they're a tiny school or a you know, big name. Um, and so they have that kind of support going forward. Whereas you then look at professional sports in the US, the explosion of those really didn't happen at all until the television era. And so you're right. locked into the longevity of those teams is now tied into their ability to you know, generate revenue and is very much tied into television and such uh, for their survival. Um, you know, back in the early days of Major League Baseball, there were teams in all kinds of strange little places as well as you know, big cities. But once you get into the TV era, where did the teams you know, continue to exist. They continue to exist in the big cities where people knew about them, came to their games, and could see their games. Right. Well, should we, this might be a good transition. Speaking of, of big games, we, uh, we have a big game coming up in Snapdragon this summer we just, uh, just heard recently with uh, the Gold Cup and the Gold Cup uh, groupings and where teams are playing. So let's let's go ahead. I, well, actually, I don't want to pivot too far away. Did anybody have anything else they wanted to add to the other one? I didn't want to like hijack the conversation here. Um, no, I just, uh, I wish people would engage more seriously with this pro-rel conversation. Um, I just, this past weekend, uh, watching some Premier League soccer met a person I'd never met before who um, really just was so was a very casual American soccer fan. Um, and they were just so like dismissive of every single thing I had to say about American soccer that wasn't like MLS is the greatest. And I just, I don't know. I just, I wish people were more open to that conversation. Um, but anyway, to put on a positive spin on it to end, um, support your local club. I don't care really. If your local club is Phoenix Rising, this is going to kill me to say it, but support <laughs> them. Like, support your local club. Um, you know, whether it's because you want them to be a top flight club or whether it's because you just want the community. Um, there's something great to be found there. So go support your local soccer club. Complete aside, as I was in Rito this past weekend, one of my teammates is, he lives in Phoenix uh, and is very heavily involved in the LGBT flag football community there. And he was wearing a, a shirt from it on Friday night. And one of their sponsors, as shown on the sleeve, is Phoenix Rising. And I'm just like, ah, oh, that, that shirt's terrible now. <laughs> but you're but respect, exactly right 
but respect. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. Gold cup now. Gold cup. Sure. Gold cup. All right. <laughs> so let me. I, I gotta find what I had. Sorry, I'm not. I'm actually not prepared. I had a graphic for the groups, so let me see if I can pull that up just so we have something to talk about here in case people can't remember. And it is a little bit small there, but the U.S. has been put in Group A. We got four groups, right? Four four-team groups for the Gold Cup. Mm -hmm. And we got Mexico, Group B, Costa Rica heading up uh, Group C, and Canada heading up Group D. Did you guys have any initial thoughts about the groupings? Um, the U.S., if they don't get through, obviously we should just shut down the program. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, the U.S., I, I don't want to completely dismiss the other teams, but looking at, for example, the uh, preliminary match nine, uh, your potential uh, your potential teams are Curaçao, St. Kitts and Nevis, St. Martin, and French Guiana. So there's not exactly powerhouses going into these prelim winners. Uh, Nicaragua is probably that that game might be the only one they win uh, because the U.S. and Jamaica really have been handed a path into the knockouts here. Um, Mexico's looks much more interesting with recent results, uh, with Haiti kind of coming up more. Honduras hasn't been as good recently as they were, say, last, uh, you know, one of the previous uh, World Cup cycles. Uh, and Qatar is a wild card. You know, they're obviously yeah. a pretty good team, as we saw when they last played in the Gold Cup. Uh, so that should be really interesting. Dylan, um, what about you? Yeah, I I do have some thoughts. And um, unlike Kevin, I actually do mean this to kind of put aside some teams. Um, what are we doing with Qatar in the CONCACAF Gold Cup? I'm sorry. Like, I understood it last <laughs> time because they were the upcoming host. KJ making the money sign there. That actually, that was the ultimate point I was going to get to. Is that <laughs> This is just kind of a financial bastardization of what the Gold Cup is. But... I just, to me, that's ridiculous. I'm sorry. But, like, it made sense when they were about to host the World Cup. But, like, I just, ugh, it just gives me the heebie-jeebies. I don't, I don't <laughs> like that at all. Um, but anyway, that aside, um, I pretty much agree with what Kevin had to say there. Um, I think that the United States uh, has more or less been handed a path into the knockout round. Um if they don't win that group, like regardless of who takes that last prelim spot, uh, I think the U.S. will need to take a good hard look in the mirror because that is a supremely winnable group. Um, Mexico's group might be more interesting. Um, Haiti maybe will feature Ronaldo Damas. I have no idea. We'll see. Maybe. Uh, he's appeared for Haiti in the past. Um, I think the most interesting group for me, though, is Group C. Uh, Costa Rica, Panama, and El Salvador are all like very solid teams. Um, and I don't know anything about the prelim teams, so you never know who gets through there. So that might be a fun group. Um, so that's, that's uh, yeah, I think Group C will probably be the, the most wild group. And clearly, as we all know, and this happens every time with the Gold Cup, it is designed 
assuming the United States and Mexico do the right thing for them to meet in the final. It's yes. always designed that way. And and we know why, you know, it goes back to the Qatar thing, right? It's the money. So I I would say again, I agree. The US, like even with a C or D level team, they ought to be winning that group. I mean, there there's no reason we shouldn't. I, I do think Mexico, just on paper, looking at these, has a, a, a not super easy group because they got stuck with Qatar there. So um, you know, Honduras could surprise or Haiti could at least surprise. Um, but I agree group C with Costa Rica, Panama and El Salvador. Um, on paper, I would say Costa Rica, I ought to win that group, but you know, it's the gold cup and teams get up for playing other rivalries there and anything could happen. Costa Rica is um, definitely going through a, like a changing of the generations as well. You know, they had the like Brian Ruiz, uh, Kaylor Navas generation that is kind of aging out. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they kind of uh, how they look going forward. So my second question then is, did either of you see the schedule that was released today, I think, at least I saw it today. Um, but the I s- actual schedule of games and where things are going to be. I um, s- sorry, go ahead, Kevin. Go uh, I was going to say, I, I have the, the Wikipedia pages up for that kind of thing, actually. Um, so the U.S. is playing, and let me go back over it, in Chicago, St. Louis, and Charlotte uh, for the group stage. I think I read, though, that if all goes according to plan, air quotes, um, the U.S. will be playing in the semifinal hosted at Snapdragon Stadium. Well, I imagine, you know, with Las Vegas being the other semi and being the larger of those two stadiums, they will most likely put Mexico in it. Um, the question happens if you know either Mexico or the U.S. doesn't top their group, they could be on a collision course for that semi. Um, you know, if they both win their group, the only place they can meet is the final. Uh, but if they if one doesn't right. finish first, then they would have to meet in a semi. So or actually, they, I think they, if they both come in second as well. If they both come in second, they still end up on opposite sides. But if one comes yeah. in first and one comes in second, they end right. up on the same side. And so they've decided not to assign the semis uh, locations <laughs> ahead of time. Um, because, again, they're wanting to maximize uh, the potential there. Uh, so one sure, will I be think... in Vegas and one will be in San Diego. But we won't know which one until after the quarters. Right, I think everybody was waiting for the schedule to drop because all the rumors were that Snapdragon was get a semifinal. So everybody wanted to know which path was it? Was it right. the U.S. path or the Mexico path? Like the the main one, assuming they win their group. Right, and and then I think people saw it and read like hmm, to be determined. We'll wait till the <laughs> end of the group stage before we decide where the semifinals are going to be. And and Kevin, I think you're exactly right. I think, and I don't have any inside information, this is just going from chasing the dollar, I think Mexico plays their semifinal in Las Vegas no matter what. Right. So I think they want to wait and see if it's a possibility for U.S. and Mexico to meet in the semifinal. Then they're going to make sure that semifinal happens in Las Vegas. If they're on opposite ends, I think Mexico still plays in Las Vegas because 
as much as it pains me to say this, I think Mexican-based fans in the U.S. will more likely sell out the 70,000-seat stadium in Las Vegas than U.S. fans would. 100%. And, I, and, and which I hope is good news for us. Well, I let me rephrase that us as U.S. fans, because we certainly have a lot of people in the locals that are Mexican fans, and we have locals that are Costa Rican fans, so I, I don't want to speak for everyone since we're kind of a local supporter group here, but for me, as a U.S. fan, uh, I would be very happy to see the U.S. team come through as a semifinal, but if we go back to the group stage, because I think one plays two, right? Group Group A plays Group D. Sorry, that's what I meant to say. Yep. A plays Once D. Once we get D to those other C. knockouts, and you know, you've got Canada in Group D. The other teams we could take care of, but you know, if U.S. slips up or Canada slips up, that could make for an interesting um, match right after. Because I think Canada's still very strong right now. I think they're. It, it's clearly United States and Mexico and Canada are. I think even still after the World Cup here, the, the three top teams in CONCACAF at the moment. I'm sure other teams would, would argue with that, but I think real, realistically, those three teams are strong. And I think, I think Canada brings a very strong team. They could, they could be, make a dark horse. Not, not really. I shouldn't say a dark horse run. They could make a run for the Gold Cup title. Oh, certainly. I, I think really in that group, we haven't talked about it much yet. You've got Canada and you've got everybody else. Yeah, um, I, I think yeah. Guatemala and Cuba and potentially TNT out of uh, their uh, qualifying the prelims um, could be a very interesting race for second. But <laughs> I feel like Canada, again, it's kind of the same situation as the U.S. If they don't top the group, they've done something very wrong. Yeah, they, they ought to walk away with that. Oh, Dylan, do you have any thoughts? Uh, just flashbacks of Trinidad and Tobago was really all that was happening right there. <laughs> um, no, I I'm just kind of scrolling through the running order you've got here for the lounge, and I uh, I think we've I don't really have anything else uh, anything else here to add. I guess the Camden Riley mic'd up thing is the last thing we could really talk about. Yeah, I'd like to spend just a couple minutes on that, and then we could wrap up because we we had mentioned briefly at the end of the Loyal Locals podcast, I think everybody, I, I haven't talked to or, you know, any kind of interaction with the person who didn't love that mic'd up episode with Camden Riley. So, I, Kevin, have you seen it yet? I haven't seen it yet. Oh, oh no. What? <laughs> what? I, I, oh, I've been busy. Seven minutes of your time. It's so worth it. Uh, Actually, today go, it was the he, opposite of busy and it felt great. <laughs> Camden Riley, as I said, I think at the end of the Loyal Locals podcast, or maybe it was in our pre-show thing we we're talking about, he is a treasure. I I would love to just see weekly mic'd up with Camden Riley. That would be entertaining in and of itself. He he's just he's a natural. <laughs> and the whole oh sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, I, I know there's been some chatter about well, one, I think his performance this year has been a notch above where he's been. And I, 
in previous years. And I think some people, there's been some chatter like, well, I don't know about Camden Riley. I don't know if we keep him in the off season. But I think even from a coach's perspective, after watching that mic'd up, like that's someone you want on your team. If there's a way to keep him on your team, you want that guy on your team because he brings people together. He's he's the locker room guy that you want. So he was he was quite quite entertaining. And and what was his our 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 left winger wing back's oh, name? Oh, I'll let you Balake, say it. Balake Bo Dilly. Bo Dilly. That's right. Yes, I uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that. And um, excuse me, I sorry, I've got the hiccups real bad right now. Um, but my two favorite things to come out of that uh, were one when Cam was doing his warm up, he says, "Oh, I'm not much of a warm up guy," uh, and I related to that on a like a really <laughs> fundamental level. Uh, but also in the opening shot, he's standing there talking with people doing like pat passing warm-ups rubbing sunscreen in his face and neck right. <laughs> and like as a fellow you know red-haired light-skinned person um that res that resonated with me uh big time and i really appreciated that so um the whole thing is just the gem but <laughs> excuse me oh my god the hiccups so bad right now <laughs> um yeah i thoroughly enjoyed that and i really really hope we get more of that kind of content this year yeah, I think it would be fun to see other personalities from the team, clearly, to see what they're like. But uh, he's going to be a tough act to follow, whoever you put on. I wouldn't want to go after him on one of those mic'd up episodes. <laughs> but he was he he was good. Chug, 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 chug. We'll see if, Sorry, see if that I, works I, for you. I have this <laughs> trick I normally do where I like hold my nose and take 10 gulps of water, but it occurred to me that that was going to look really weird to do on camera. So I decided <laughs> to just chug. Um, so far, so good. We'll see how it works out. Uh, but yeah, I who I don't know. If you had to pick one player other than Camden Riley to do a mic'd up, who might you select? Oh, you know, I the very, very first person that came up was Elijah. Yeah. Um, but I, I think there's lots of people I would love to hear from. I, I think I, I, I guess realistically, I'd love to hear from all of them. I'd love to get a little insight to their personality. Um, but Elijah was the the first name that popped into my mind um, as soon as you said that, and then I started thinking through others as well. But what about you, Kevin? I think Koke would be rather entertaining. Oh, yeah, agreed. Yeah. Yeah, I um, Koke was someone I thought of uh, as well, and I think Evan Conway might be fun just because he, in all of his like media stuff, he struck me as just kind of a like kind of a sarcastic, dry sense of humor type of person, and I I really appreciate right. that. Um, but one person I specifically wanted to highlight, uh, and this was after the preseason friendly, uh, some of us season ticket members got to go to. Um, I remember uh, Elliot Collier came onto the field in that friendly, and not two minutes after he came onto the field, there was a rough tackle, and the ref blew the whistle and issued a card, and you could just hear somebody shout, "So ball riff! And you're like, oh, well, that was obviously Elliot Collier. So <laughs> I, uh, I would like to hear him mic'd up, because I just... Um, 
I got a good laugh out of that. <laughs> that would be good. Yeah, I, I, I apologize I, for my terrible accent as well. That was good. I thought Nick, Nick Duffy was in the room there. No, <laughs> I said that. <laughs> probably, probably sounds different enough to our ears, and Nick Duffy is probably just eye rolling. I'm sure I will hear it. I will, I will hear it this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, any, uh, I think that was pretty much the last thing we had on the running mortar. Any uh, final thoughts, last words for this week on the lounge for either of you? Uh, actually, I'm going to jump in on this. If uh, John, would you be nice enough to highlight the last uh, comment that's been uh, placed in here? Ah, yes. Uh, oh, so, uh, Jerry, Jerry uh, asking when we're playing Wingspan, and he introduced me to this game a couple weeks ago. We played on uh, BoardGameArena.com, which, if you're not familiar with and you're into games, is very cool. But that reminds me that I'm now going to call out Jerry. Uh, he has mentioned a few times about trying to get together a locals game night. And he, I keep forgetting where he said he had an idea of where would be a good spot for it. I keep trying to prod him to get it together and let's make it happen. So Jerry, you're getting called out on the podcast. I'm sure Uh, he's typing right now. (laughs) I had to guess. I would say that Jerry's probably referring to cafe Calabria on 30th street. The moment Um, you said it. Yeah, that's it. That's where he and I have met up for board games more than a few times. So, so uh, yeah, no, I would love for that to become a thing where we just say, Hey locals, if you want to come play some games and have some drinks, then uh, we will definitely do that. So uh, Jerry, get on that. Will you? Yeah, there you go. Cafe Calabria. Um, Yeah. We actually, it's funny that you mentioned that Kevin, we, um, uh, so my girlfriend's uncle actually owns that place, um, and we have been working with him to try and get like a board game night kind of thing going in the upstairs lounge area that they have. Um, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, we definitely um, are working on getting that together, and I know Jerry has been a part of that as well. Uh, but yeah, Cafe Calabria is awesome. Um, great coffee, great drinks, great pizza, best red sauce in town in my opinion. Um, so even if it's not for board games, Cafe Calabria is fantastic, but yeah, I, uh, board game night definitely, I think is in the works and should be coming soon. All right. Sounds good. Um, well, anyway, uh, other than that, um, I think that is it for us at the locals only lounge. Um, yeah, Jerry, uh, across ish the street from fair play. It's like, uh, fair play is just North of Lincoln, um, and Calabria is just south of Lincoln, but they're like catty corner from each other. Um, so it's, it's right by there on 30th. Um, but yeah, fantastic spot. Uh, Jerry and I actually just met up there to play board games before going to watch the New Mexico game at Fair Play. So um, it's, it's a regular spot. Uh, but uh, barring any other thoughts from uh, John or Kevin, I think that will uh, do it for us on the Locals Only Lounge. No, nothing. All right. Well, speak now forever. Hold your peace. Uh, So that's it for us. I appreciate everybody who's stuck around. Um, I always enjoy these lounge conversations. Um, So uh, keep an eye out for Bums Breakdown coming up this week. Uh, We've got our home game against Tampon Sunday. We'll have Locals Last Call Sunday. Um, And then I think Monday, right, John, for uh, kicking it with the Locals? Yeah, awesome. With Gorilla FC 
the Seattle Sounders supporters group. Um, and as always, check Discord if you have any questions about anything. That's the spot. Um, but uh, for all of us here at the locals, uh, I uh, I think that's good night. <laughs>